The book of Proverbs begins with these words. You see it there in your own text. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. We know a little bit about Solomon. Uh, Solomon was indeed a great king, a really great king. I wonder what it was like for him growing up having such a famous father, right? We kind of think of David and Solomon as independent kings, but you understand that Solomon had as his father, King David, and David was no slouch as a king. Uh, David was the guy that when he would enter the city, uh, what was sung about him was uh, David is, uh, Saul has killed his thousands, David is ten thousands. David was a, a celebrity of his day. Note, I mean, what he had, was doing on the battlefield set him apart. And Solomon grew up in the shadow of all of that. If there were such things as celebrities in ancient Israel, David was one, and then, of course, Solomon was one, somewhat just by being the son of David. And yet, as great as King David was, and as amazing as his kingly exploits were, Solomon surpassed them all in his own way. It was under the reign of Solomon that Israel enjoyed its grandest moment of peace and prosperity, where the, uh, the borders of Israel had expanded to its, its greatest measure, and they enjoyed, uh, um, Solomon is, is proverbial, right? Here he is writing Proverbs, right? For the wealth and the status and the position of his reign. He was so notable that there were foreign dignitaries that would travel just to behold and witness the grandeur of his kingdom and the glory of his reign. They would, these foreign rulers would travel, would meet him because they wanted to observe firsthand the things that they had heard about. This meant that foreign rulers showed Solomon respect and deference. And yet his prestige and honor were unmatched. Solomon had authority and power to order the death of rebellious insurgents who plotted against him and his kingdom. And yet even so, while everyone was bowing before Solomon, while everyone was coming to see his, his power and his, his, his magnificent rule and reign, even in the middle of all of that, there was one person that Solomon bowed to. And that's found in 1 Kings chapter 2. You don't need to turn there. But in 1 Kings chapter 2, this is shortly after Solomon was established as king. He was coronated as king of Israel, which there's a story of scandal and controversy even around that with others trying to, 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 to run up and to become king in, uh, at David's death. But in 1 Kings 2, it says this, in, that, that Bathsheba which is Solomon's mother, went to King Solomon to speak to him on behalf of Adonijah. And here's what Solomon does when she enters the room. The king rose to meet her and bowed down to her. Then he sat on his throne and he had a seat, a throne in its own way, brought for the king's mother and she sat on his right. So notice how Solomon treats his mother. When he was such an exalted figure in Israel, accustomed to the power and position that came with that, with that rule. And it's somewhat amazing because Bathsheba was not free of scandal herself. If you've read through some of the Old Testament, you're probably familiar with the story that goes along with Bathsheba. Bathsheba married Solomon's father, King David, under scandalous circumstances. David saw her. David sent for her. And after he impregnates her, he plots and eventually succeeds in bringing about the death of Bathsheba's husband. And then David marries Bathsheba, and eventually Solomon was born. So I wonder what the palace gossip or the local tabloids, if there were such a thing, might have said about Bathsheba and about Solomon. Um, I kind of had a chuckle, but, you know, if Solomon had a therapist, I wonder if they would have spent time discussing the emotional baggage that he grew up around in the middle of, right? 
sometimes we just kind of gloss over that. We just say, Solomon's king. He wrote a lot of good stuff. We carry on. But he lived a real life around scandalous circumstances. And yet, instead of hating his mother or accusing her or holding her responsible for the drama in his background and despising her, we see in 1 Kings chapter 2 a snapshot of Solomon's deep respect and admiration for his mother. When she went to King Solomon to speak to him, the king rises, he bows, and he has a throne brought for her, sat on the right, his right. Okay, this would be your, this would be right from your perspective, right? Um, sat on his right, which is a, which is a place of, of respect and honor. So, what does all this mean? What does all this teach us in relationship to Mother's Day? Well, it's been said like this: even great kings should bow to their mothers. Even great kings should bow to their mothers. And I think we can agree that at least in some measure, Solomon was a great king. Now, he was he a perfect king? Absolutely not. Was he a perfect man? No, he was not. Yet it is an indisputable fact that Solomon's inscripturated writings are God's wisdom for us. And here we see in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, some of his wisdom where he says in verse, uh, where he talks about the fear of the Lord as the beginning of knowledge. And then verse 8, he talks about response to a father's instruction. And then in the middle of verse 8, forsake not your mother's teaching. This from the pen of the man who rose and bowed when his mom walked into the throne room. And so what we have here in the book of Proverbs, it's often understood as a book of wise sayings for life. And that's true. But there's certainly, and there's a lot of common sense, down-to-earth wisdom to be found in the book of Proverbs. The danger, though, is approaching the book of Proverbs as kind of like a manual for life, how to get ahead in life, kind of like a Christian version of how to win friends and influence people. It's not that. It is God's wisdom for us, and what it's doing is it's taking earthly, it's taking this down-to-earth, practical, everyday wisdom, and the chief aim of Proverbs, then, is to tie those sayings into how it all relates to God. How all of that, what it's telling us about life and, and wisdom, applying skillfully into life, um, principles and rules to, to get through life, how all of that relates to God. So here's another example of how Proverbs ties wisdom into relationship to God. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me lest I be full and deny you, God, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So what is that, right? Proverbs has some of those riddles-like rhymes. It's talking about how the author is saying, I don't want to be too wealthy, and I don't want to be too poor. I want to be just right. And you say, well, yeah, it sounds wise, right? You don't want to be too wealthy. You just want to. You don't want to be too poor. You want to be just right. And you say, well, that's how everyone wants to live, right? Or you maybe you're saying, oh, I'd like to try out the too wealthy part for a little while. But notice Proverbs 30 isn't just give that wisdom and leave it sit there. It ties it into relationship with God. It says, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? So the the caution away from wealth in Proverbs 30 is that you would you would forget that you need God. And so the author is saying, I don't want wealth because I don't want to run the risk of thinking that I don't need God. And then he says, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Well, I don't want to be in poverty lest I, I break God's law and profane the name of God and say that God can't provide for my needs. I need to break God's law. I need to make, do immoral acts in order to get by in life. All of it relates back to God. So, 
God is the center for both of the responses of whether poverty or plenty. And that's how Proverbs functions, just can, can help us. The wisdom that you find in Proverbs, it helps us understand how all of that ultimately relates back to our relationship, back to God as the center of it all. So understanding the centrality of God in the wisdom for life should, approach, should alter how we then approach Proverbs, which should then alter how we approach verse 8 of chapter 1 in Proverbs. You say, well, it just says, listen to your father and don't forsake your mother's teaching. Well, that sounds really, you know, happy Mother's Day, Mom. I just told all your kids to listen to you and obey, right? You have fun with that and we all go home. <laughs> but it has to all relate back to God in some way. And so why then is motherhood noble and glorious? Well, like it's been said, even kings should bow to their mothers. Why? Why? And I just have two simple truths for us this morning. Uh, these are rather ordinary, and, um, but I, I hope they'll be an encouragement. The reason why kings, even kings, should bow to their mothers is this. Motherhood is one of God's plan for teaching. It's one of God's plan. It's a God-ordained plan for teaching. And we'll, we'll draw this out here in a moment, but a mother's teaching is part of God's plan for instructing children how to live wisely in the world. You see that in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. God intends mothers and fathers to give their children instruction and teaching. In other words, the family is a God-ordained school for training children to live wisely in this world. And to live wisely in this world means this, understanding how life all relates back to the centrality of God. So, now moms, if you hear this and you feel overwhelmed, like, oh, great. You know, it's, up to, it's my responsibility to teach these kids and so make sure they turn out right. Or now you've just put another burden upon me. Or maybe you're sick of teaching your kids, right? I mean, let's be honest, right? Maybe you are just sick of that. You feel like you're just screaming into the wind and it's just vanishing. My point in raising this and drawing our attention to this is just to simply see that this biblical fact, it, it's here and to encourage you with a high and noble calling that God has put upon your role in the life of your children as a mother. It is a God-ordained role. A king rose and bowed before his mother. And moms, I want you to understand that that is in part because God has ordained you with this role. And he intends for you to be a source of life to your children in how you teach them. So a mother's teaching isn't simply a social construct or a cultural expectation. It is God-ordained and God-blessed. Now, of course, if this was Father's Day, we could be talking about, here, my son, your father's instruction, be drawing out that thread, dads, teach your kids. We could be drawing that, but this is Mother's Day, so moms, this is your day. <laughs> From time to time, I tell my kids, growing up is hard work, and they all agree. And you, you know what it's like, right? It doesn't get any easier, right? Growing old is hard work. Growing up does not come naturally to us. We need a lot of help, don't we? I mean, think about it. Have you ever watched a nature show and there's these little hatchlings or little baby animals, and within minutes they're up walking around. And then the announcer, some sort of guy with a British accent, tells you that in a matter of hours that they'll be like flying or you know, attacking and feeding themselves and living a full adult life. And we kind of look at our kids and go, come on, catch up. I mean, it's kind of humorous, right? We're not like that. We, we would die if that's how we tried to do that with our kids, right? Um, we don't need to learn some things. Like, we don't have to teach our kids how to blink. We don't have to teach them how to cry. There's some things that we just kind of know, but most everything that we need in life as human beings to get along and to live and survive, we need to be taught. 
We need to learn just about everything, how to feed ourselves, how to get dressed, how to clothe ourselves, how to talk and communicate, how not to talk and communicate, how to manage our emotions, how to learn self-control, the list goes on and on. Is this what Solomon's talking about here? Don't forsake the instruction of your mother. Well, I don't believe that's what he has in mind, although I think it could be applicable, but I think he has something more in mind because of the context of where this verse comes right after verse 7 and what he writes about in verse 10 and following. The endless list of life skills, is that everything that mom has to teach us? No, I believe there's more to it. And if you look at verse 10 and following, he goes on and says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive, you can keep reading there. It's this enticement towards riotous, uh, 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 without moral restraint, without any consideration of pursuing evil. The, the appeal is, if they entice you, don't consent. What is going to keep a child from consenting to that kind of evil life? According to Proverbs, it's this, my son, hear your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. So there is a moral component in what God intends for mothers and fathers to teach their children. But it goes beyond that. It's not just moralism. Moms, we're not just teaching our kids moralism. The teaching of mothers is designed by God to be rooted in, and it's found in verse 7. It's, bound, it's, it's, it's designed by God to be rooted in the fear of the Lord. And this is just the second point. Not just that a mother's teaching is, God's, is, God, is a God-ordained part of the family, but number two, a mother's teaching is rooted in the fear of the Lord. It's rooted in the fear of the Lord. So think of it this way, moms. The curriculum that God has ordained for you to teach children is unlike any other. There isn't another curriculum that can touch the curriculum that God has ordained for you, the curriculum of the fear of the Lord. In verse 7, it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then verse 8, he goes on and writes about the instruction and the wisdom and the teaching that mothers and fathers give to children. So we can infer then that what Solomon has in mind here is not just moralistic teaching. It's not just learning how to get dressed and tie your shoes and do this and do that, just, just those basic skills of life. It's not that. It is something much more. It is understanding. It's being taught. All of that, all of the instruction is rooted in the fear of the Lord. So there's many myriad things that a mother might teach a child, but all of them should be rooted back into the fear of the Lord. Now, it's probably good for us to pause and make sure we understand what fear of the Lord is. The word fear in our modern ears often has only bad connotations, right? Um, have you stood? How many of you are afraid of heights? Raise a hand. Some of you don't want to admit it. All right? Um, the idea of you walking up to the railing on some sort of like the Grand Canyon and just peering over, you know, if your insides curdle at that, you just want to run away. The idea of fear, right? It just, it, it paralyzes us. It's something we don't like. And so when we hear the phrase fear of the Lord, right, how many of you are afraid of spiders, right? You know, spiders are curious creatures, right? They can bring a grown man into screaming, um, right? Fear makes us kind of be silly, it's something we don't enjoy. And so now we have fear and the Lord connected together and in our modern ears we kind of shut down and we don't understand that. But the fear of the Lord is a biblical idea that is describing a proper and deep reverencing of God in daily life. The fear of the Lord is to live in a conscious awareness of God, His existence, His reality, 
so that your decisions in day-to-day life are ordered around Him, the fear of the Lord. You're, you're ordering your life around His existence, His rule, His reign over all things. I was trying to describe, I was thinking, and this is kind of a risky illustration, but husbands, you should live in the fear of your wife in a good, healthy way. Okay, This is where I thought this could get out of control quickly. <laughs> but the sense of knowing her and adoring her and respecting her, right? So that you don't want to, to do something that would that you know, you understand where that illustration goes and that proper sense of, I was trying to think of how this relates in, in our relationships. You could use that in other, other, other relationships. It's this inner sense of admiration and awe of God, the fear of the Lord. Now, here's the reality. Our, our modern age, we need a lot, we need to recover this. We need to recover this, the fear of the Lord. Uh, maybe even in our own circles of Christendom because we can be very casual in our, in our response or our understanding of God in relationship to God. In the idea that God's kind of our panic button, our easy button. We kind of just hit that when things are going bad and he's there for us. But we're not really living in the fear of the Lord. We're not ordering our lives around his existence, his rule, his reign. That's the fear of the Lord, an inner sense of admiration and awe, an orientation of the heart that stands in awe of God. So God plans for mothers to be part of the way children learn the fear of the Lord. Your moms are like, well, what does this mean? Well, moms, it means that more than teaching a child how to eat and put on clothes or walk or tie their shoes, and those are all important things, motherhood is much more than that according to God from his word. Motherhood, according to Proverbs 1, is part of God's plan for children to learn how everything they do, whether it's, and I'm quoting from 2 Corinthians 10 now, whether they're eating or drinking, it's all for the glory of God. And moms, you have this glorious role in the life of children that they would understand and learn this. Again, my aim in calling attention to this truth is not to, is not to overwhelm or discourage any of the mothers in this room. It's to encourage and infuse their understanding of motherhood with this high and divinely ordained role. Now, the New Testament provides a couple of examples of the effects of Christian motherhood. And here's one of them that you are probably familiar with already. And it's the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. And we find this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul is writing to encourage Timothy. And he says this to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelled first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. So here from the pen of the Apostle Paul, Paul is encouraging Timothy in his, in his gospel ministry to not lose heart, to carry on, to be encouraged, And he says, listen, I I know you have a sincere faith. And Timothy, I want to remind you of where that sincere, how how you got that sincere faith, how you were taught that. You were taught it through, he identifies the sincere faith of Timothy as a result of a multi generational influence from mothers. Timothy learned the matters of faith in God through his mother, and his mother learned it from her mother. And Timothy, we we believe, did not have a, a believing father. He was described as a Greek. And yet later on, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, that as for you, continue in what you have learned, Timothy, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Well, sometimes we wonder, is is Paul referring about himself, that Paul is the one that taught this to Timothy? Well, sure, he's had that influence in his life, but Paul goes on and says, how from a childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Why is that? Because of grandma and mom who had this influence of teaching him from the scriptures, the fear of the Lord. 
Because Eunice and Lois taught him the sacred writings. And why is it important that, they, that children learn the sacred writings, the scriptures, so they can be good moralistic people? No. Here's why. Paul goes on and says this, which are able, which, referring to the scriptures, they are able to make you wise, tying back to Proverbs, wisdom, wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so moms, here's the other encouragement. You don't need to make up the fear of the Lord. You don't need to try to write your own curriculum now. You have it here in the scriptures. You have what you need. And so moms, the best thing that you can do to just encourage you on is not some sort of secret parenting strategy that you're going to watch on some Instagram reel. Friends, what you need is right here in God's Word. There is no greater curriculum. There's nothing greater that you can give your children than for them to be instructed in the fear of the Lord. Timothy, think of it this way. Paul is basically telling Timothy, Timothy, you are going to live forever and ever with God and enjoy Him forever because your mom and grandma taught you the faith. They taught you the fear of the Lord. So moms, I want to encourage you with that. Now, you say, does this mean every child who has taught the Scriptures will become a Christian? No. But it does highlight God's ordained plan to teach children the fear of the Lord, and it's through motherhood. Now, back in Proverbs 1, verse 8, I want to highlight an insight I came across in my study for the sermon in regards to this verse where he says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. This verse has two warnings in it, two different warnings in it. And kids, I want you to listen up. Teenagers, listen up. Because this is for you, all right? If kings should bow to their mothers, certainly teenagers should as well. The first warning is, not, is about not listening when your father or mother give instruction. And that's why the verse calls children to hear. And I know moms, you're like, preach it. My kids need to listen to me, right? And I'm saying that. Kids, listen to your mother. Listen. Oh, they're all in their own, their own lesson. Rats, they're not going to hear this. Um, but children need to listen. Oh, there's one kid who just waved at me, all right? Uh, listen to your mother and father. It's one of God's ways of giving you life as they teach you the, 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 the fear of the Lord. But the second warning is, not, is, is about not forsaking what you've been taught. And I think what it has in mind here is that this is what happens when a child moves away from the home, is no longer under the direct adult supervision of parents in the same way. And as they move away from home and now they're making their own decisions, their own choices, the appeal of Proverbs is don't forsake what you've been taught. Don't forsake that. And you say, well, why does this matter? What, what, why, why does this matter? Well, look at verse 9. Solomon gives us the reason. And again, this is a guy that was a celebrity of his day, that had lots of opportunity, that had lots of wealth when he grew up with his family. And he says this, For they, the instruction of your father and the teaching of your mother, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Now, those words kind of fall flat to our modern ears because I don't think any of our kids have been excited because you gave them a wreath to wear on their head, right? I don't advise you do that for birthdays or Christmas. And in Proverbs is calling out the glory of what a mother and father give to their children like that. So what are we talking about here? Well, our modern ears uh, will understand it in this way. Recently, King Charles was coronated, which I didn't understand why I'm confused by some of the royalty. He was coronated to be king, but they already called him king, right? Um, but he was coronated as king. And part of that was there were crowns as part of that. And I remember seeing pictures of these crowns and the symbolic, uh, the significance of what was found in those crowns being placed on their heads, right? right? And princesses wear tiaras, okay? And there's a sense of glory that's found in that. That's what 
That's what Solomon is drawing on. And we still even have that functioning in our modern day, in our modern age. He's saying that, listen, when you, when you hear your father, when you listen to your mother, when you do not forsake their instruction, it's as if you're being crowned in life. There's an honor and a glory that's found in no other way than this. In fact, this instruction is so important that this is one of the commands that God attached with a promise. When it says, children, obey your parents, for, for, because there's a promise that's attached to that. Or we understand how winners of an Olympic event, this idea of a pendant around your neck, Maybe you're not into jewelry. Maybe you're like, ah, forget it. But we understand how this works because at the Olympic Games, when those winners, right, gold, silver, and bronze, when they're honored, they're honored in, in, a, in a ceremony, and part of that ceremony includes something being hung around their neck to symbolize their achievement and the glory and honor of what they've done in, those, in that Olympic accomplishment. Friends, that's the analogy that Solomon is drawing. I just used some, some modern-day analogies there. He is saying that that's the effect of listening and hearing the instruction of your mother and father in the fear of the Lord in a life. That's the effect it has. So kids, if you blow off the instruction of your mom and dad in regards to the fear of the Lord, you're basically saying, I don't want that gold medal hung around my neck. Take it away. No value. That crown, take it away. I don't want that. That's what you're saying. So, Again, in verse 9, this pendant for your neck, it makes more sense to us in the sense of this um, beautification of what it does for life. And that's what God intends to happen in our lives with the instruction of our mothers. Now, what these verses in Proverbs 1 make plain is this. The instruction of fathers and the teaching of mothers rooted in the fear of the Lord is a good and glorious gift from God. So moms, don't lose heart. It's a good and glorious gift from God. So don't give up. And here's the challenge. We would love for there to be this breakthrough moment, right? Where, we, where you, you as a mother say something, teach and instruct, and it just all of the pieces in your kid just fall into place and they're set. But that's not how it works, is it? Instead, it's little by little. It's drip by drip where you, day after day, hour after hour, model and teach your children how all of life relates to God through the fear of the Lord, and you need to trust God in what He has ordained. This teaching is your responsibility, moms and dads. It's your responsibility. It is the child's responsibility to hear and not forsake it. And so, moms, I want to encourage you to pray towards that end. To pray that God would open the ears and give spiritual understanding to your children to receive and hear that instruction. And I want to just say something to the women here who are not mothers or who were mothers and are no no longer mothers through tragedy or other circumstance. I do believe we could say this, that, well, I I would say this firsthand. I have had, my mom is sitting here in this room, right? Wonderful, wonderful influence in my life. But I have had other women who have had a mother like influence in my life from time to time. And I think I could say, and I'm thankful for that. And so to all the women in this church family, I just want to encourage you all that God in his timing may allow you to have that kind of influence in someone's life. And I want you to steward that well in accordance with the scriptures. Highlands Baptist Church will be healthier as the mothers of, as the, as the women of this church embrace this kind of role as God allows it for you. Some of, some of you, God has allowed that through you are an actual mother. You have, you have children that you've given birth to. 
or you've adopted or are part of your home through those through the circumstances. But some of you may be on the outside peering in or in a different phase of life where you're not engaged in that act actively. I want to encourage you that there is still no shortage of how God can use you in this way through your prayers, through your continued teaching, through your mentoring of other mothers. Even the way Paul connected Paul uh, Timothy's blessing in life through, through a grandmother to a mother, how you can have that role even in later years of life where you say your, motherhood, your mothering is done and, and, and you've, you've, you're, you're, you're finished with that. No. Highlands Baptist will be healthiest when the, when the women of this church are, are picking up that, that role, that God-ordained glorious role and stewarding it well for the health of the families of this church and the children of this church. I'll let the music team to come up and get ready to lead us in our final song. I'll leave us with this final, I hope it's a word of encouragement, as we draw our focus to Christ. Say, well, how how do we attach Jesus into Mother's Day? There's probably a variety of ways to do it, but here's one. Moms, I want you to take heart in what God's called you to do because what God has called you to do is glorious and important. And here's what I believe is the slam-dunk proof of that. If you needed more than what we have here in Proverbs. Jesus, the Son of God, the God-man, was mothered. Jesus submitted himself and needed in God's providence through the plan of of salvation, history working itself out of, of Jesus being born. He was mothered. And part of Jesus' growth and development as a child included his mother teaching him the fear of the Lord. And I know you're like, well, hang on. Jesus is God, so how do you teach God the fear of God? Right? And I understand there's a mystery in the, in the full divinity and full humanity of Christ. There's a mystery in that. But the Bible says that Jesus grew and he developed and there was a sense of learning. It talks about how he learned obedience. I just want you to understand, moms, when you feel worn and weary with what you're doing day after day, the unseen things behind the scenes, the tears, the frustrations, the messes you're cleaning up, the instruction you've given that doesn't seem to be received and is blown off. Understand this, that the all-wise Jesus, who is God with us, received and did not forsake the teaching of his mother. When in his final moments before his death, Jesus turns to John the Apostle and ensures that his mother is cared for well by, by calling out John, the, John and saying, Now behold your mother, passing that baton off. And so moms... The only hope for the world is Jesus. Jesus received mothering in his life. And he's called you to a glorious and noble task as well. And he's given you the best curriculum ever, the fear of the Lord. And so moms, I'm praying for you, praying for all the mothers here, that you would take heart in what God has called you to.